0: My name is Lila, and I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> I have never been to South Dakota, just like Jenny. And that, you know, it's interesting. I was just thinking, I've been all over the world uh, in the years that I have been sober, and so little, know so little about the United States. And I remember years, maybe 10 or 12 years ago, saying, you know, whenever the time comes when I'm not going to be doing anything, I'm going to try to get around America and see if I can get a sense of you know, what it's like in those states that look like squares in the middle of the map. You know. The Weather Channel never names them, so I'm looking, like, where the hell is South Dakota? <laughs> I couldn't believe it when it was in the blue and pink place, which means freezing and snow and below 20 or something. And I thought, oh, Lila, you should check these things out before say yes in the middle of March. <laughs> but, you know, I think you have to be very careful what you pray for along the way. Because I have found that absolutely everything that I have ever thought about wanting, since I have been sober and Alcoholics Anonymous, eventually will be revealed to me or given to me, or I will find out that I didn't want it at all. But I am now in the process in the last few years, since my time is more free, and uh, of seeing so many states. Uh, so this is my first visit to South Dakota. Thank you for picking me up, Vicki. It was kind of interesting because, you know, you have to get on this, well, coming from Santa Monica, Los Angeles, you fly to St. Louis, and... Just the logic of it defies you know, all the way past your place and then back up in some little tiny weenie little thing. And um, I got nervous immediately when they announced to be careful crossing to the terminal. You have to get out in the, ter- in the runway thing and walk maybe just a few yards. It wasn't a lot. And I looked out the window and I thought, well, you could probably jump from the, the plane right into the terminal. I thought, what the hell are they talking about? Be careful. I, I saw nothing. But the minute my unprepared shoes hit that ground, I thought, oh my God, there's patches of ice here. <laughs> now not only am I going to be of service, I could come back damaged, you know. <sighs> I don't know. It was right easy to see Vicky right away because, you know, when the people from Alcoholics Anonymous pick you up at the airport, you never have to worry about what do you look like, what do they look like. There's a smile that just fills up the entire front of the airport and there she was and and I was delighted to, to see her. And when I got to the, and I didn't have the coat, you know, I thought to myself, what the hell with it? I mean, how, how cold can it be? <laughs> how cold can it be from the te- door of the airport to a vehicle? You know, how cold can it possibly be? Well, never mind the f- stuff frozen on the ground and, you know. So I said to her, oh, I don't even need to take the coat out of the bag, you know. Then we talked about midlife and how we have our own power and, uh, All the women will relate to that. I can just heat up at any given moment. (laughs) Over 50, I could probably melt the snow in South Dakota. (laughs) I knew that was nonsense when we got to her car and I felt the slippery stuff on the door and I thought, what the hell is that? It was ice, frozen ice on the side of... I thought, oh, God, you know. Not that I've never seen snow before. I must admit, though, I opened the window this morning with great enthusiasm because you know when you're not used to it I live on the ocean in Santa Monica it was bright and sunny I uh, would like you to thank me afterwards for bringing the sun with me this morning (laughs) but it was really nice to see the snow out there and uh, I have not I lived in snow for quite a long time I was born in Ireland and I had the opportunity to spend some time in Toronto Canada uh, and then in Saskatoon Saskatchewan now they have real snow it was a short time the river freezes over so this is okay but I would not live in it again uh maybe I have learned one thing that's absolute in Alcoholics Anonymous. To never say never and never make a decision about any result that may occur in my life. There's somebody up there that says she thinks she's not going to live in snow again. <laughs> anyway, I've never spoken on a Saturday morning. I always am the Saturday, Saturday evening or predominantly the Sunday speaker. It's kind of interesting on a Saturday morning. I figure only the dedicated show up, first of all. Or the losers at the bingo game, I don't know. <laughs> One thing's for sure, I don't know how the hell you eat ice cream. <laughs> I thought, geez, a buck a scoop on a freezing night, just step outside. You don't even need that. Ice cream. <clears throat> Obviously I don't belong to the group that makes the dress code mandatory and the steps not mandatory. Oh, Jesus, you know, I wasn't going to say that. (laughs) You know, and I was praying this morning, and I thought, you know, God, please make me a channel, but let's not be controversial, and can we just do something stupid, like a drunk for the whole meeting, and then I can get sober in the last two minutes, and it'll be perfectly safe. But I don't think that's going to happen. I just don't feel that. It's unfortunate. You know, I should never have looked at the big book before I came down here. I should never have done it. But, you know, Jenny kind of, like, got me going last night with her little... (laughs) I thought, oh, no, Jenny, don't do that, you know. (laughs) the grayish reality deep within, you know. I'd rather not have to feel it from the podium, you know, then I can talk about, you know, normal things. But no, you know, she kind of got me going. I could feel that tingle all the way through. And I thought, that is enthusiasm, you know, that is grace. That is the gift of God and, you know, the spirit within us. Isn't it amazing that, you know, when I drank, I drank for the spirit of alcohol, and now I live for the spirit of God, you know, spiritum des spiritus, spirit meets spirit. I mean, I'm way beyond the point in my sobriety where I know that, you know, there was a thousand reasons I drank and how where was the invisible line and all that kind of thing. I don't have a clue where that. Is. I don't even know that there is one, to tell you the truth, I mean, for me. Did it happen, you know, in Ireland when they were giving me stout because it was good internally? And you were given it when you were a small little girl, you know, and uh, no, I don't much think about that. And, and did it happen when after all the little drunken parties that would be at my grandmother's house that I would um, go around very young and combine all the empty glasses into one, it didn't matter what they were, and drink it all? No, not at all. I'm not sure that was it. And was I already over the line when I was in, actually it was the United States by that time, when I would set up an ironing board and then I would find my mother's brandy in the closet. You know, all Irish Catholic mothers have brandy for the priest, just a mandatory thing in our household. And they all hide it in the same places. And I'm sure you've all found it, as I did, in the shoebox in the closet and the hat box. And I would raise that ironing board as I grew up in that house because I always needed something on the outside to make me feel better. And first, I had to get that before I could feel better on the inside. And the ironing board and raising it and pouring the drinks and getting little glasses to be shot glasses and sharing it with my friends in the neighborhood. I mean, I was already a budding alcoholic before I ever even had an opportunity to have a legal drink. And before I was of age to drink, I remember being in high school and going into the cafeteria and never leaving because I would pass out at the cafeteria table. And, you know, I always wondered why no one came up and said, you know, you've passed out. Would you like to go home or something? I I would just come about about 3 o'clock and and I would go home and when I was reading this morning the definition in the big book about what a real alcoholic is I thought you know that's what it is I did not think that that was abnormal I thought that all the other people in the world were abnormal I thought nothing was wrong with me that was a great gift of drinking for me that I thought you were absolutely out there in outer space and I was alright and if you could only drink you would be better And I remember making the decision well before I was 21, that I would have nothing to do with people that didn't drink. There was something fundamentally wrong with them. I couldn't stand the way they looked at me. And I was the type of dangerous alcoholic, that if I invited you to my home, I made sure you got drunk. And I wouldn't have cared if you were a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. In fact, that would have been an extra tantalizing challenge to get you drunk. I couldn't be around sober people. Now, are those characteristics of an, a real alcoholic? I suppose. So I don't really know. I only know that it's said in the book that if you're a real alcoholic, and the reason I'm bringing that up is when I first got sober, oh, I got sober in 1969 in October. I've had the good, by the grace of God, never had to have a drink again in the last 32 and a half years. And I think that that's because I basically, thank you. Thank um, you. I basically had the fundamental practical application of the program introduced to me at the very beginning by people that used to say to me, I am a real alcoholic. And I would say to them, to myself, well, good for you, because in three weeks I'm out of your goddamn program and you can be as real as you want to be. I'll be back in the saddle. I'm too young to be an alcoholic. I shouldn't even be here in the first place. I had about a million reservations that I wasn't an alcoholic. Now, did I walk into the hole in the ground at Huntington Park and walk down those stairs and just say, well, I'm having a bad day. I think I'll drop in and see how it's going at an alcoholic's anonymous meeting. No. I walked into that meeting dragging my left leg because it no longer worked properly. I had alcoholic poisoning. I couldn't move my head. I was stiff on one side of my body. Thank God that that happened to me at the age that it did. I was about three, if you want to do the math. (laughs) but you know I was old enough to die so when I came into that room that's the condition that I came into Alcoholics Anonymous in there weren't a lot of treatment centers available at that time the preponderance of them and people didn't come into Alcoholics Anonymous all polished off you know we dragged in one leg dragging frozen on one side of the body desperate for a good night's sleep you know, passed out for the last 10 maybe years of my life. Never slept. Passed out. Got up in the morning. Always checked to make sure I was at home. Where was I? Who was there? Where was the car? I mean, the, 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 the amount of work it took to be an alcoholic, a drunken woman, the amount of work. If I would only, and had only, and would only continue to put 10% of that effort into the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, well, Jenny and I could just levitate and grow wings, and we could fly to these meetings and not have to take airplanes at all, you know. But No. No, but when I walked into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, into that small, tiny, weeny room, and there they were, and other people who had legs that didn't work and heads that didn't move. And I'm sure that they had minds that didn't work either, you know, the disease of the mind. And they would sit you in the front row. You knew where to sit because it was the row with the big book on it, and that was for the newcomers. And then every now and then, somebody would start to shake, And they'd rush through the room and they'd grab the person and they'd give them a Coca-Cola and a Hershey bar and a cup of coffee and another something so that there wouldn't be a seizure. Now, I'd like to tell you that I stayed sober at the beginning in all these years because God tapped me on the shoulder and bingo, I got it. No. I stayed sober at the beginning because I intended to leave. I stayed sober at the beginning because I was afraid I'd have a seizure. I saw those people have seizures and have those spoons stuck down their throat and I thought, good God! God! I better stay long enough so that this stuff gets out of my system, and then I will be able to drink like other people, and then everything will be all right, and then I'll get back the money, and then I'll get back the thing, and I'll do it again, and I'll be fine, and I'll be all polished up. Now, that's what I was thinking of in my beginning meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous. I really paid no attention at all to what anybody was saying. None. None because I couldn't quite understand what they were saying. I would see those lips move from what I thought were prisoners, from some prison that they would go collect them at death row and bring them to this meeting, line them up on that small table, and then have them talk to alcoholics. I thought, how unfortunate that they treat these poor alcoholics this way. That some sort of rehabilitation has to occur. I couldn't believe with anything. I heard the mumble, mumble, mumble. Thank God there were signs on the wall. Signs that said things like, think, think, think. I hated that sign. I remember saying to Duke, what does that mean? For God's sake, if I had thought, 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 I wouldn't be sitting here. And he said, and if you don't think, 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 you won't be. He said, think about the consequences. Think about the drink. Finish through. Finish that thought. Bring that drink right through to the end. Oh, over the years has that sign, think, 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 become a lifesaver for me have given me a moment to pause and to think of the consequences before I have to really act. Given me a moment to ask God to assist me. I loved the sign that said, But for the grace of God, there go I. Oh, I understood that. I'm not certain that that isn't the one that kept me here. You know, I would be sitting there in the front row with those people and all of a sudden something would go by me and, oh, oh my God. Is that real and uh, then the guy next to me was a newcomer and something he would go like that and I would think no he saw it too it's fine I'm, I'm seeing, seeing the same stuff here that's really good and I used to think well that must happen when you get sober that you just don't get out of the way when they look rush, rush by you in the air like that and and I had DTs when I got sober you know sober as a judge and I'm trying to getting out of my system and the DTs came for me and I would see these things and these little gray bubbles all over the place and then some, you know, person would run by that nobody else seemed to notice and except the guy that then went into the seizure. So don't think that I wasn't conscious, you know. And, and they used to have these big donuts, you know, donuts the size of your head. And I, and I would think, that's a good business now. You could produce these donuts for Alcoholics Anonymous because look how big they are. And of course they weren't. In my mind's eye they were big. And they'd make you eat, make you eat the whole jelly donuts, you know, the whole jelly donut. And i say, can't you guys get anything but jelly donuts? Well, no, 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 there's a lot more sugar in jelly donuts. You see, we needed the sugar. I needed the sugar. And then one time I saw them rush up to my row with a Coca-Cola, and I realized they were coming for me, that I was shaking, that I had the beginning of that moment where if you don't give that alcoholic the sugar, if you don't take care of them at the beginning, because it's a physical disease. It's a physical disease, and I had drunk so severely that it took a long time for it to come out of my body. And then it's an emotional, mental disease where my mind, you know, it says in the book, the disease of the mind and here I was listening and looking at those lips and looking at those signs and wondering what easy does it meant when you're going like that easy does it doesn't apply at all it doesn't apply at all but you know I stayed sober just a few weeks and before you know it easy does it was happening for me my body was easing down it wasn't as shaking as very much as it used to and then I would see the other signs and you know live and let live and I would think who wants to live with these people not me Not me, I've got to get out of here. I have got to get out of here. But by that time, I was listening to the 18 voices that were in my head. And not all of them were sick alcoholics. Some of them were actually well. I think inside of us is the grace of God, and it's already got the answer. I believe that now. I have found that to be true for me. That is my experience gradually and painfully over the years in Alcoholics Anonymous, that it is all inside me, but I must make room for it. I didn't know that then. I didn't know that at the very beginning when I was sitting in that seat and I was starting to let the alcohol leave my system and prepare my body for life, that I was making room for a God, a God of my understanding. I couldn't believe it. I knew that I was powerless over alcohol. I knew that. I knew that, but it didn't matter because I had not thought through the unmanageability of my life. I really believed that, oh, yes, okay, this is temporary. I'm powerless over it right now. And as I began to hear what they were saying and the wind and the hollow of their stomach and all that kind of stuff, and they wore these big belts that said, you know, I don't know, they had the Borax team on them and horses and stuff, and and then the Duke wore a suit with a white shirt I mean I never saw him in anything but a suit with a white shirt and I never saw the other guy in anything but a plaid shirt with this big Borax team on the front of it and it used to just really I used to think oh God this is going to be my life in Alcoholics Anonymous you know and all these people would rush around and, and how are you honey and how are you doing lamb and, and isn't aren't you, aren't you great to be sober and come back again tomorrow and are you going to be here and come early and uh, I think oh leave me alone. Don't you understand? I just need to stay sober right now, but it's just a matter of time before I'm out of here. And then I would look at one more sign on the wall, and then the voices would start to answer me back in my very own head, when I would say, got to get out. And the little voice would say, too bad you're in the front row. You know, and I'd say, well, okay, I'll wait, but I'm never, never coming back. And another little voice would say, perhaps you should listen to what they're saying. And another voice would say, Oh, to hell with it. Who the hell are you? And when did you get in here? The sobriety had already begun. These little voices. Get in, stay, go. You're an alcoholic. You're not an alcoholic. Well, how the hell do you know you're an alcoholic? You're not a real alcoholic. Listen to these guys. And then I heard it. I heard one guy say... And you have no mental defense against the first drink. And I thought, well, that's it. What the hell am I standing for anyway? I mean, any moment, any moment, a bottle of scotch is going to pop out of the sky, fall in my hand, whoop, I won't have any defense anyway. So what's the point? Why don't I just go do it now? And I really scared myself. So I came to another meeting because I was so frightened, because I thought, no defense. Jeez. And I began to hear, and another voice inside would say, something's got to be defending these people. They're here. You know, they're... I said to Vicky Vicky said to me ah there's one of the old timers I said oh really how long is he sober and she said oh he's older than dirt I love that statement because that's what they were down there they were all friends of Bill and they were sober like you know whatever length of time uh, couldn't you know expound time only so much then but to me they were, they were sober longer than dirt I mean they were sober forever and I could think, how could they possibly stay sober if there's no defense at all because you see the one thing I was never going to listen to in Alcoholics Anonymous was anything about God anything about God, anything, anything. Now, you know, I went through the years where I was a recovering Roman Catholic or whatever it is. None of it matters anymore, really, you know, because I finally found the part in the book where it says, do not let prejudice or religious religiously, get over yourself with all of that. And none of that really mattered. You know, what mattered was that God was not there for me, that I didn't believe in a God, that I believed in myself and only myself. And when I was a drunk, I listened to that kind of music. I was either listening to Irish music where I was slitting my wrists and calling home, telling them that, you know, blah, 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 cry, 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 cry. I mean, if you listen to the words of Danny Boy, it'll just take you right out if you have a couple of glasses. It's a very sad, sad song. And take you home again, Kathleen. And, you know, in the middle of the night, never thinking that it was eight hours difference, you know, I'm calling Ireland and talking about blah, 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 blah. And, you know, nobody ever said you're drunk because they're used to that. It's a country that produces most of the members of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, Take all the Irish out of AA and they say that everybody else wouldn't fit in a phone booth. (laughs) I believe it, to tell you the truth. I believe it. I'm trying to share a little bit about the drinking. It just is not in me today. You'll have to trust that you could not stay sober 32 and a half years in Alcoholics Anonymous unless you are a real alcoholic. You would have driven me stark, raving mad, unless I had to stay here. All the people that I've encountered over the years, ah there's good and then there's the bad. I have been embezzled, I've been cheated, I've been lectured, I've been lied to. I've had so much happen to me in Alcoholics Anonymous. And why do I stay? I stay because the majority of the people are under the grace of God. I stay because I have found a way to live. I stay because I'm a real alcoholic. I stay because I'm afraid that if I don't, I will drink again. I stay because when they told me at the beginning, You have four things you have to do no matter what. One, you can never drink again for the rest of your life. How you do that is a day at a time. And that's what they would say over and over and over again. For the rest of your life. I was actually speaking at a meeting once and somebody came up to me and said, I don't think you should say that anymore, so spare me that if you're inclined to think that way. Don't talk to me about my talk after the meeting. Now go out and experience it yourself and come back. And then tell me about it, you know, in 32 years, come back and tell me how you think, you know, but until then, don't, please don't, 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 don't. it's taken me all this time to form who I am now, so you're, uh, you're getting who I am, and uh, I am sharing my experience, and uh, that's really important, because it doesn't say anything else, you know, in fact, there's a little tiny portion of the book, and uh, it's missed so many times, You know, we get to chapter 5, we all read it, you know, what it was like, what happened, what it was like now. But I found this thing this morning, on page 29, way before chapter 5, is that each individual in their personal stories describes in his own language and from his own point of view the way he established his relationship with God. These give a fair cross-section of our membership and a clear-cut idea of what has actually happened in our lives. This is before chapter 5. You know what else is before chapter 5? Lack of power, that was our dilemma. I used to think that meant all kinds of things. But before that, it says our human resources, marshaled by will, were not sufficient. It took me 20 years in Alcoholics Anonymous to begin to understand that I had to have a consistent relationship with a God of my understanding because I might be sober, but I was not content. Because I might be coming to meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous the second thing they told me. You have to go to meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous for the rest of your life, or you will drink again. Now, I'm an intelligent woman who's had a lot of success in the world, pretty bright. I never have questioned the logic of that. I never would question the logic of that. I know that in the deepest part of my soul, that if I leave Alcoholics Anonymous for whatever reason, If I let you or me drive me out of Alcoholics Anonymous, I will forget. And before long, this disease of the mind will take over. Because, you see, I believe that if I drink again, I will make that decision stone-cold sober. Oh, I may leave Alcoholics Anonymous gradually. I won't get into the meeting. Maybe I'll have a cigarette at the car, and, and then maybe I won't even... Get to the car. Maybe I'll just decide to stay home. And what happens to the people that leave? I mean, they drift away. It's taken me years to understand, for me, that it's a spiritual deficiency that people drink. Who cares why you drank or relapsed? I have no interest in that. All I know is it's a spiritual deficiency. And if you have a contact with God, it's not going to happen. That gratitude and God are incompatible with alcohol. So I have to come to meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous and hear talks like... Uh, that young man, Billy, last night. I loved that. And feel that power, the grayish reality deep within that Jenny talked about and introduced into your convention in such a wonderful way. I completely lost my train of thought. Well, that's good for you, I guess. <laughs> but you know, I love the stuff in the book that you, know, you rarely hear at a meeting. It says, but after a while, we had to face the fact that we must find a spiritual basis of life or else. Don't you love the way they write the book? Or else, period. Or else what? Or else you can stay sober, you know. Oh, you can go to meetings and stay sober. You can put the chairs out. You can do the coffee. You can become a cookie person. In fact, I wish you all of that because those are the habits and the practical application of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And if I hadn't done all of that, if I hadn't been, I was a better cookie person than Jenny. I actually got the lace Doilies and brought them in at this little rat hole meeting, if you can imagine. I spent far more money than I even had, I was bankrupt when I got here, on the cookies. And then I like formed them into shapes and and I hated it if you took one. I rushed right back to the back of the room and I put them back. Nobody ever said anything to me like, you are a budding control freak of the highest nature. You have no idea that lack of power is your dilemma. They just said, oh, very nice cookies. I wondered why they never made me the coffee person. I had to go to a whole other meeting to get that job. (laughs) Anyway, it says, lack of power was our dilemma, and where do we find this power? And then it says something very clear. It says, well, that's exactly what this book is about. Now, I'm reading this because for years, I like skipped over those parts. Oh, I looked at them, but I just sort of skipped over them. And it says, let us make haste to reassure you. We found that as soon as we were able to lay aside prejudice and express a willingness to believe in a power greater than ourselves, we commenced to get results, even though it was impossible for any of us to fully define or comprehend that power which was God. Our own conception, however inadequate, was sufficient to make the approach to effect a contact with God. As soon as we admitted the possible existence of a creative intelligence, a spirit of the universe underlying the totality of things, we began to be possessed by a new sense of power and direction, provided we took other steps. We needed to ask ourselves one short question. Do I now believe or I am willing to believe that there is a power greater than myself? Faced with alcoholic destruction we soon became as open-minded on spiritual matters as we had tried to be on other questions. In this respect alcohol was a great persuader. It finally beat us into a state of reasonableness. In the last 32 and a half years life, periodically, and because more has been revealed, has beat me into a state of reasonableness. And that's what the program of Alcoholics Anonymous is about for me. It's about how to live. How to live and how to stay sober in this life. How to go through the ups and the downs and the joy and the sadness and the life and the death and the reality, the actual reality, it calls it in the book, that comes upon us over the years of our sobriety. That's why I have no judgment anymore. Oh, I had a lot of judgment. I had a lot of it and it burdened me. It took me years before I could turn around and I could take that bag of judgment and just start to let it go. So much judgment. I mean, I couldn't stand myself about the 15th year of my sobriety because I carried so much into the meeting. Little things, like perhaps what some of you are thinking about me now. That's just the beginning. (laughs) And worry. Oh my God, I worried all the time. I mean, I got sober and I started worrying. One of the great things about alcohol is you don't worry about anything. Three drinks, it's gone. All sober, I became a worrier. The two great burdens of my life, judgment and worry. Judgment and worry. And then more was revealed and I realized how much I regret it. Now that's something. I had to take an inventory on all the regrets so that I could let them go. Oh, and it was just a few years ago that I took an inventory on the expectations I had. Oh, when I found out the expectations I had of the people in alcoholics Anonymous, it's it was amazing that I was able to stay at all. I've let them all go I don't have any expectations at all isn't that amazing someone that had no power that needed it all from the outside needed to know that if I had enough money property and prestige I could deal with you I could keep you at arm's length that I needed your approval so much that I had to look like I had it that I had to express like I had I don't need it now how did that happen how did I get off that bathroom floor and 32 and a half years later, end up in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, with the courage to say, I don't care what you think about me. How did that happen to an alcoholic who passed out every night? How did that happen to somebody that climbed up that toilet bowl and did it again and again and again and again? How did that happen to somebody that when they were drinking in that bathroom didn't have the wherewithal? to even kill themselves didn't even care I care a lot about my life now I care a lot about it I care enough about it to work the steps of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous so that I can make room for this God that I had no relationship with or I had enough of a relationship at the beginning because you'd absolutely have to be like dead in order not to experience the miracle of getting sober or you get to see it you know right away Right away. Because I started to shower regularly. That's a hint. So I had a physical knowledge of the miracle and the grace of Alcoholics Anonymous. And then I cleaned out the car and I couldn't believe what it was like without all those bottles banging to each other that the sound was actually different. I mean, it was quiet. And I cleaned my house. Oh, well, that was the third thing they told me. A, you go to meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous for the rest of your life. How you do it is a day at a time, a second at a time, a moment at a time. Who cares? we'll save your life pick up the phone we'll all tell you how to do it we're great at that two you have to go to meetings of Alcoholics Anonymous for the rest of your life and three you're going to have to clean house for the rest of your life no problem I rushed home I got a toothbrush I got the borax I got the tide I got all that stuff bleach and I cleaned that house and I rushed back down there and I said I cleaned the house he said, obviously, you don't have the message here. <laughs> and he gave me a yellow tablet with a pencil and he said, now, I want you to put all those six secrets, all those things on a piece of paper. We're going to start cleaning from the inside out so you can make room for God. And that you will do for the rest of your life. I would like to tell you that for the last 32 and a half years, I've been diligent about that part of the program. I haven't. I have not. Not until the mid-years, you know. Not until I had to. Not until I stayed sober long enough to know there either is a God or there isn't. Not until I stayed sober long enough to know to have life revealed to me. Not until I stayed sober long enough to know that I had to understand the program of Alcoholics Anonymous as it was outlined in the Big Book and the 12 and 12. And then I had to live it. And that meant I had to experience it. And that meant that I had to spend a whole lot of time doing something I've never been good at, which was practice the steps in my life. Not talk about them and think about them and practice. Practice. You know, before I get up to talk, I always put my head down and I ask God, as it states in the big book, to make me a channel so that whatever I am supposed to say, I will hear it and you will hear it and the message will be whatever it is supposed to be. I have tried now not to talk about the steps for the last 25 minutes. I am wasting my time, I am wasting your time, and it is clear from the feeling I have inside of me that I am now wasting God's time. So let me tell you right up front why I am sober today, why I have stayed in Alcoholics Anonymous despite the personalities, why I am here, how I found this God, and precisely what happened to me. After I got physically cleaned up and realized that I was powerless over alcohol, I said, I don't understand the unmanageable part. I am perfectly together. And the guy said, look at your car, look at your house, look at your shoes, and look at your clothes. Look at your physical condition, look at your left leg, and look at your frozen face. That is physical, visual proof of unmanageability. Number one. Step two, if you would like to be restored, then you're going to have to stay sober long long enough for your leg to move, your head to unfreeze, and yourself to get some health back. Made sense to me. Number three, you better start turning everything over that's in your sick little mind or you're not going to be able to stay sober long enough for that stuff that happened to you. Got it. Turn it over, turn it over, turn it over. So beside, beside my own thinking, I was able to like, hear these little voices saying, okay, look, it works for everybody else temporarily. Go ahead, turn it over, turn it over, turn it over. I was five years sober before I said, who's catching it, who's catching it, who's catching it? Ooh. But at the beginning, it doesn't really matter. I just turned it over and I turned it over and you know what, I began to feel better. I began to feel better and then when I walked in that night and told him I cleaned my house he gave me the yellow piece of paper and I took my first inventory an in Alcoholics Anonymous and then I was able to sit down with him right after the meeting and talk to him about that or rather he talked to me about it and he said welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous you are now a member of Alcoholics Anonymous I said are you sure now you read that carefully because you should be kicking me out of here. I have put a few key things in there that maybe I should point out to you that really probably disqualify me from this male white bread society. And I went on and on and on and on. This bloody religious thing, and all you do is talk about God. Don't you want to look a little closer now and see how I feel about all of that? He said, how you feel about anything doesn't matter. I said, oh, it doesn't matter. He said, are you an alcoholic or are you not? He said, the first step of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous says without any reservations whatsoever. Lila, are you an alcoholic? Well, I knew I was an alcoholic. By then I knew. I knew that I was a member of Alcoholics Anonymous because I had shown up, sat in that front row, got past the seizure section, was able to point out potential seizures to other people, did the donut thing, was the cookie person, fought for my seat, showed up at the middle of the afternoon to get my seat, wouldn't allow anybody else to sit in it, I was a little hostile. I had a gun, I was blowing off heads, I was beginning to put that down, it was imaginary, it was imaginary, but I just got pissed off when somebody that I shot the week before would come back to the meeting, I think, oh my God, I thought I'd kill that person, but, and I had told him all of these kind of things, I told him there's nobody like me in Alcoholics Anonymous, and... And you know, it was amazing. It was just amazing because he said, You are a member. And I walked out of that room. I'd never been a member of anything before. I certainly didn't feel like a member of the human race. I didn't feel like a member of my family. I didn't feel like a member of anything. But now I'm a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. What a dangerous thing to tell a new budding alcoholic who's just in the grace of God and beginning to think, Hey, I'm a miracle. I didn't understand it in my stomach and in my heart and in my soul. But I got it intellectually. So I would go down to the park there. <laughs> Bad place, down Persian Square around there. And I would pick up these people and bring them to meetings. And they would say to me, Lila, would you please check out if they're alcoholics? I said, you're supposed to bring a newcomer and it's a miracle and da-da-da-da-da. Well, you know, I was over that pretty quick. Thank God for AA. I mean, it's bringing crazy people to meetings. Just crazy. I said, get in the car. If you're in a park, you're probably an alcoholic. What the hell else would you be doing in the park? And I would put these people in my car and drive them all the way down to Huntington Park and Gramercy and all over the place. And Duke would say to me, Jesus, Lila, check it out. Are they alcohol? I said, come on, look at them. Look at them. He said, no, we looked at you. I got dressed to go to my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous so you wouldn't think I was an alcoholic. Can you imagine? Now I'm running around the park picking up people, saying, uh, hey, what are you doing in the park? Got to get a good night's sleep. I said, I know what that feels like. Can't sleep. Let's go. Do you drink? Do you have a drink? I said, that's it. See, you're an alcoholic. You want it right away in the morning. We're going. Unbelievable. The grace of God. The grace of God. So here was Duke welcoming me to Alcoholics Anonymous. And then I skipped six and seven because, oh, well, who the hell? You know, a lot of stuff about God. And I wasn't really interested in turning anything over to anybody like that. I was just going to turn it over to this imaginary God with this angel I had that was six feet tall. And eventually, you know, I didn't want to talk to God. So I would have this six feet tall angel, big Catholic angel, sat on the right. Now, of course, I've lent this angel to people, and they've taken it, and Jewish people, all sorts of people have this angel, and they can sit it anywhere they want. But mine was on the right, and I would actually sit in the room and move over. You know, one guy said to me once, why are you moving so close to me? I said, oh, come on, I got this angel. Would you leave me alone? First of all, I'm a newcomer. You're supposed to let me do anything I want. And, you know, oh, God, it was not very pleasant at all in Alcoholics Anonymous. And then I got to the eighth and ninth step. Well, I kind of understood that, you know, the eighth and ninth step, because Duke had me back there, and he made a list while I was. Talking to him and he read. he says, now take this piece of paper. And he said, let me tell you about amends, you know, so you don't misunderstand. Don't make an amend to somebody owe money until you bring your checkbook. Get over saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry doesn't cut it. I will not do that again. And don't do it again. Now that's an amend. He said, you're not going to be perfect at this for a while. (laughs) Little did I know it would take 20 years. And I went out and I earnestly made those amends. You know, so I understand that you can stay sober on the first step, you know, just being powerless over alcohol and realizing that your life is unmanageable because it's all a mess. And I could see the mess. About five or seven or ten years later, I looked around and I realized my, my, my life was unmanageable and powerless because I could feel the mess. I could see the kind of relationships that I was having. I could see that all these character defects, I just stayed sober long enough to find out how sick I was. And here they all were. And I was running around Alcoholics Anonymous and my little clique and my little group and my little this and my little that. And Jenny described the gossip thing last night perfectly. And I was doing all of those things. And I realized now that that was life. You learn to live in Alcoholics Anonymous. You have friends, you talk about each other. Ah, hell, you sleep with each other. You do all sorts of things in Alcoholics Anonymous. You're running around. And isn't it a great sandbox to learn how to do that stuff? But here I was now, in the mid-years of my sobriety, thinking, Jesus, I'm an emotional wreck. And, you know, I did all sorts of things in order to correct that, you know, because I am a seeker. I am a seeker. Now, by this time I knew that there was a God, but I only used that God when I had to. You know, when I was bloodied up against the wall, like the guy in the book, that you know, the jaywalker, my favorite. My favorite Why? Is it about drinking? No, A is about sobriety. It's about staying sober. And that guy ran into the, you know, hit by a truck, and then he got hit by, I don't know, steam, engine or whatever the hell got hit with it. That's what I've done emotionally. I mean, I run out, and I do it again, and again, and again, and again, and then I wonder why I don't get the understanding of the definition of insanity. Doing the same thing over, and over, and over, and over, and over again, and expecting different results. Amazing. But this God began to be a good Band-Aid. So every time I would plaster myself on the wall, bloodied all over, having done all sorts of damage between the time I was unmanageable and went insane, which is a very short distance from the first step to the second step, I had wrecked half the people in my life. And I attracted people just like me. Just like me. Oh God, it makes me laugh when they say to the newcomers, don't get involved in the first year. And they do anyway. But you know, I know now why that is so because you attract people just like you now when I think back it makes me shake that I was with people just like me but you know the grace of God protects us from the day we step into alcoholics actually from the day we're born you want to believe in a miracle look at all the times you could have been dead look at all the times the police didn't get you look at all the Al-Anons that did stay with you look at all the Al-Anons that left Look at all the stuff that got you here. Look at the fact that you're here in Sioux Falls, wherever it is, South Dakota, 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning. How did that happen? How did you end up in these seats? How did you even begin to think, I hope what she's saying might be true? Maybe it's more than a Band-Aid God. Maybe if you stay sober long enough, something else happens. And you know it did. For me, it was around the 20th year of my sobriety, about 12 or so years ago. Oh, I was doing all the stuff because I don't know how not to go to meetings. I don't drink. I've had terrific opportunities to build that wall sober around myself. I had all these things that people want. All this protection that I thought was going to make it okay for me. And I was dark. I was dark. I've come to find out if you cast a shadow in the light of the spirit, it is your shadow that you cast. Oh, I had spent a lot of time in Alcoholics Anonymous blaming it on other people. It was because of that, and it was because of this, and I'm sober as a judge. I'm sober a lot of years, and and unfortunately, in many meetings that I went to, I was sober longer than most of the people there. And I couldn't get it, but you know, I've known people that are sober twice the time I am. Well, not quite twice. They wouldn't be around long enough. At least 50, 54 years, and I go to that meeting regularly. And I go there because I want what they have. And they barely say more than three words at a time. But I want what's inside. And about my 20th year, I thought, I don't get it. I don't have it. There must be more. I want more. I'm an alcoholic. I need more. I want all there is. I'm an alcoholic. There's got to be more. I don't know if I can stand it anymore. If I hear the same person say that same thing one more time, I'm going to scream. Now, those are the thoughts that were going on in my mind in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. Where did the stuff about listen for the similarities go to? Oh, I tried hard to listen to those similarities, but I couldn't. I thought, God, if I hear one more story about the war and the da-da-da-da-da, i will flip out. I didn't hear the people that said, it's a soul sickness, baby. Ultimately, that's what it's going to be about. Oh, you don't ever have to go there. You can stay sober and never think about God. And you don't even have to read the 12 and 12 and forget the steps. Execute it in your life. I know what it's like to say it because it sounds good. I know what it's like to do it because you'll approve of me. But God, to do it for myself, to pray for myself, to stop just living on the first step that I'm parlous over alcohol, run out and take that inventory, read it to somebody, rush around and do the amends, and to do all the 12-step work in the world is not enough for me. Stopped being enough right in the middle of my sobriety. There had to be more. What a surprise it was to find out if you work the steps in order, perhaps you do get more if you pay attention to what you're doing and practicing, I got more. I found out that I am myself over absolutely everything in my life. Absolutely everything. That this disease of the mind is ever present in me. That one negative thought turns into thousands of negative thoughts. That one judgment opens up the door for a million judgments, and they all come back at me. That one worry that I do not turn over to my God can darken my whole day. That's powerlessness. I am an alcoholic who is sober, who does not want the power from themselves. Because I'll be running out there and managing your life and everybody else's in two and a half minutes. I don't want to manage your life. I don't want you to manage mine either. I want you to carry me and love me and hold me and feed me And guide me with your experience, not your knowledge. I will do that for you. It's so different. It is so different. To be powerless, to want to be powerless. I can't tell you what an unusual thing that is for me. You know, it says in the book that everything we ever thought would change, that every idea we ever had would change, that we'd give them all up, these old ideas. Power next to alcohol was my biggest dilemma. And now I feel powerless over everything and delighted about it. Delighted about it. I start this big plan thing all by myself. I scare myself. I start thinking about what I'm going to say prior to a meeting. wait a minute. This is not your business. Do you know how many years I have practiced getting that out of my head? So it's a tremendously difficult thing for me to not be the front runner in my head, to turn that section over and go to somebody to ask for help. If I had not learned in the first 20 or 18 years of my sobriety to come to you for direction and help, I would not have known how to go to God. And if I had not periodically used that Band-Aid God, I wouldn't have gone at all. I might have left Alcoholics Anonymous. But I had enough experience using the practical application of the program and coming to the meetings and trying to listen and trying to listen to the similarities, and enough people helping me. And then I started to hear the people that talked about being sober and that this is what it was about, and that it was about, and it says right in the old thing that the steps here that you read, it's fantastic, it says, your program, not our program, not we, my program, nobody can drink for me, and nobody can work the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous for me, what a shock that was, that I had to admit that I was powerless over what was ever going on in my mind and in my life that I had to have the honesty and more will be revealed. Oh, how I wish for you to know that the honesty inside of the first step as you go and become more and more powerless is going to be magnificent. Not frightening, but magnificent. And then the hope of the second step, that I can be restored. I mean, I've been restored a thousand times. A thousand times in Alcoholics Anonymous. I have no doubt that I will be restored again and again and again. I have come to depend on it. I have come to depend on not being insane. I have come to depend on between unmanageability and insanity. I will know to have enough faith to go to the third step. So when I am powerless and I need that power and I have enough honesty to know that I am powerless, I will ask for the hope and get the faith to go to the third step. And if you have enough honesty and enough hope, you'll get that faith. And then I can turn it over. And you know, I turn it over now as rapidly as I did in the first year of my sobriety. It's a fantastic thing. I don't know what happened there for 20 years, but I kind of held on to it for too long. I thought I could do it, I guess. But now I do it just like the newcomers, and it's fantastic. The minute it's in there, I think, whoa, over. And I make a decision to turn my will, which is my life and my thinking, over to my God. And with enough honesty and enough hope and enough faith, well, I am given the courage to take that fourth step, and I write that inventory. Oh, I write these inventories now, and there's nobody on that page but me, What's the point of putting you down there? It all comes back to me. It says in our literature, if there's a problem here, it's me. True, I can't blame you. I no longer believe there are victims. I think it's an Al-Anon thing that says there's only volunteers. It also says in the book very clearly, and I understand it as an alcoholic, it says, do not manufacture your own misery. God, I loved it when I read that. I have found in Alcoholics Anonymous the answer for everything for me. Manufacture, so now I don't. I immediately got honest and say, I'm out there. I am feeling uncomfortable. It's a feeling of unmanageability. It's not my dirty car anymore or my body needs to be cleaned up or some emotional wreck of a relationship. No. It's just a little feeling inside, you know. A little sense of loneliness. A little sense of being not connected. A little sense that I'm not feeling myself. That's spiritual for me now. Spiritual unmanageability, the worst kind. But I know that I can be restored with the hope and with that faith and then I take that inventory and have that courage. The minute I have the courage to take that inventory, just like down at the hole in the ground when the guy handed me the yellow tablet, I pick up that phone. And I have enough integrity to listen to your truth and to have you listen to mine. And I talk to a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, preferably somebody that I've known for a very long time. It need not always be for me the same person. It will be the person that I believe has the experience related to what is happening with me. But there is about two people that I am consistent with. And they will tell me something that is a miracle. They will tell me the truth. We have been here before. In fact, just recently, I've had a number of things going on in life. Just because you stay sober doesn't mean life stops; it just means you handle it differently. Handle it differently. And I, I was going over this thing with Gretchen, and I said, and da 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 da. And I did this, and I did this, and I'm unmanageable over the situation. I realized that. Now I know I'm going to be restored, and I've actually turned it over, and I've written the inventory now, and I like to read them. Let's talk about that. And she said, "Did you pray at all any time during this experience?" And I said, "Well, you know, I didn't. I forgot. 32 years sober." She said, how do you usually get people rid of people that you're so angry with and have other reasons? I said, I pray them away. She said, and did you do that? No, I forgot. If I wasn't practicing going through the steps and got to the fifth step, I wouldn't have talked to her. She wouldn't have reminded me. That's how it works for me. When I can't do it for myself, God will provide that answer for me. And then I realized the sixth step, the magic, the magnificence, the size of the sixth step, the gigantic entirely ready it took me 30 years to understand that entirely ready was now that entirely ready meant accept and i accept whatever it is that i am powerless over i have enough powerlessness and power and honesty and hope and faith and courage and integrity and if you have all that you're setting yourself up for acceptance that's what the steps do one step at a time lead you down that road and before you know it you're more honest than you've ever been you're so honest And then you're hopeful. And then you have faith. And then you get the courage from this inventory. And then you have the integrity because you're talking to somebody about it and telling yourself the truth as well as your God. And then you have this level of acceptance. It's just extraordinary. Because the minute that acceptance kicks in, there's seven. You don't even have to do anything. Humbly ask, how could I have complicated such a simple thing for so many years? Humbly ask, help me. Please help me. That's what it means to me now. And after I do that, talk to somebody and accept what the situation is i may not like it but i accept it and i accept me and i accept how i feel about it then i humbly ask for help because that is when i need it the most that is when i need my god and it is then that i look around in eight and nine and say now who did i damage during this time and i have compassion and i make that adjustment and i have that balance so with enough honesty and hope and faith courage integrity acceptance and humility I am able to have the compassion and the balance to go out and correct it again and then I am at 10 the walk around step the step of perseverance there is not a member of Alcoholics Anonymous or Al-Anon that doesn't understand perseverance we are here we have persevered it's a tremendous step And when you have all of those ingredients that are given to us so freely, when all we do is go out and try to practice them, go out and try to live them, read that 12 and 12. It's for people that are sober. It's for people that are sober over five years. If you're sober under five years, do exactly whatever it is that whoever's telling you to do, do it. Because it'll give you the practical application. It'll tell you how to stay sober when there's no one around. It'll tell you all the basics. But when you're five to whatever, get into that 12 and 12. Find out about that God. Find out about that it's no, it's a painful God that's a band-aid. Find out about the God that's always there. Find out about the God that has made you the survivor that you are. And when you have this honesty and hope and faith and this courage that comes from four and this integrity from talking to people and the acceptance of six and this tremendous sense of humility, oh my God, what a peaceful feeling. If I had it all the time, I'd be dead so powerful inside of me. And this compassion and this balance and this perseverance is it no surprise that the 11th step is there then. And it is then that I have come to understand the spirituality of the 11th step. I had to practice it like a baby practices drinking milk. I had to say thank you, thank you for one whole year. I said thank you for the hot water, thank you for the stoplight, thank you, thank you, thank you, because I did not know how to say thank you to my God. I had to go around smiling when I didn't want to smile because I didn't naturally smile and feel the gratitude. I had to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, so that I would end up being a natural practiced person saying thank you. So that I could see the miracles and say thank you for that miracle. And I had to practice it. Now I didn't go around saying thank you, thank you, thank you. I was inside that I was doing this. I went around saying help me, help me, help me for one solid year so I could understand the seventh step. I went around and now every month I practice a step every month and this is the third month and I'm turning it over every single day. So for the last 12 years of my life I am honest in the first month. I practice when I'm not. I say, ah, oh, you being dishonest. Now I tell myself that so that I can be current and familiar all the time with the steps. In the second month which just passed I have that hope. And I said, I'm being restored. And sure enough, my life seems to parallel that. And then on the third month, I turn it over and I practice. And that's what I'm doing this month. I'm practicing turning it over. I'm reading about the chapter of the agnostic. I'm finding all the things that you turn it over to and what it's about. Next month, I will write that inventory. Oh, maybe it'll be an inventory of my expectations. I have a few that's come back. Maybe I'll take a look at a couple of other things. I don't know what the hell the inventory is going to be about. It'll be whatever is inside of me the day that I write it. Not about my past. I have survived my past. I have survived my drunkenness, and I have survived my sobriety up until now, and I have survived AA, and I have survived life. So what will be inside of me will be the things that I use to black out the light of my God. And that's what an inventory will be about, and I will talk to somebody of a like mind who is spiritual and talks about God and who talks about the steps, and that's what will happen. And we will talk about it, and she will say to me, it's a soul sickness, baby. It's a soul sickness. Carl Jung had said to Bill Wilson, our founder, alcoholics are people in search of God. And I will understand the 11th step. And I will start to talk to that God as if he was there and that I will write. And I do it every day. did it this morning. I did it last night. Dear great spirits, what do I do about this? How do I do this? Da-da-da-da-da. Can I get the hell out of here? The speaker I wanted to hear is not here. Maybe I should. (laughs) Whatever. Should I go? Obviously not. But Because, you know, if I hadn't listened last night to the speaker that was on the list, I wouldn't have heard a great talk. You know, I'm expecting a miracle tomorrow. I want to be, like, bounced out of here. I expect that that will happen. I hope that it will happen. You know why it will happen? It will happen because somebody will sincerely come up here and open their heart. It will happen because I will be given the opportunity to say thank you. It will happen because I will love that person no matter what. Just like Billy said. I mean, my God, isn't it amazing that that can happen to us? That's the 12th step. To be familiar with that. To know that inside of me, I now have the capacity. You do not have to wait as long as I waited it An alcoholic's anonymous to get as well as you need to be. It took me so many years because I was so damaged, because I was so broken, because I could camouflage so successfully. While you ran around and patted me on the head and said, aren't you doing very well for yourself? Yes, I was, and I was dying inside. It's got nothing to do with the outside. It has nothing to do with how well I was doing. I never told you the truth. I said, I'm dying inside. I don't know what it is in your eyes that I don't have in mine. How could you have a God, and you're a lot less sober than I am, that you seem to rely on, and I don't? But I do now, and I write to that God all the time, and I only ask questions. I live in the question. I don't want the answer. My answers are limiting. My answers are results. Oh my God, to be a person that never took a risk, that had to know everything, had to know all the answers, had to know everything, had to know where every drink was ever coming from. I'm the kind of alcoholic that never ran out of alcohol, don't relate to people like that at all, always knew where the next drink was coming from, always stored up, always like Billy, hidden somewhere. I'm the kind of person that lives that kind of life. It's taken me years in Alcoholics Anonymous to not know, to not know about this afternoon. To not know about tomorrow, that doesn't mean that I don't plan. But I never plan without asking God the question first. Down to the stupidest things. And you know, I am always delighted when I get the answer. Now, I get the answer from the people in AA or the newspaper. Who knows where the hell I get the answer from. It's so open that I can get it from anybody. I have felt inside of me such energy that, you know, when she talks about that tinkle thing, I know what that feels like. There are times when my chest is so full of what it has been given through the result of my consistency in Alcoholics Anonymous that kept me here long enough to find out that more will always be revealed to me, that I will never be well, thank God, that I will always be learning, that there will be people that have a lot less sobriety than I, that are a lot weller in certain areas than I am, but there are areas in the nature of my spirituality where I have soared, and there are people that wish that they can go there, and I am here to tell you that in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, if you walk yourself over and over and over for the rest of your life through the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous, gradually, and over a period of time, you will have honesty beyond that which you have ever imagined. You will have a hope that will fill you up from the top of your little bottom of your toes to the top of your head. You will have faith under circumstances that will present itself to you in life. Because that's what we live and they will die and they will be going to die. And it's all happening to me now. And then I have that faith. I have the faith that it will be all right. How does it happen to somebody like me? How does that happen to somebody on a bathroom floor? And then I have the courage to say, this is my part. This is what I do to block out that God. This is what I do. And then to talk to somebody else and to find the right people to talk to. It says that we will be taken over the threshold in Alcoholics Anonymous from the state of reason to the state of faith. And that's what you have done for me. The literature promised me that. AA was my God at the beginning. I had no other. Then the people were my gods. Then a couple of people were the God. Then a person was a God. Then an angel was a God. Then all of you became extensions of that God. And then one day I was in a meeting and I heard a man say, I no longer pray to God, I pray from God. And I started to cry because I was over 20 years sober and I realized that I had inside of me a God. I felt that God. I felt the greatest reality deep within. I cannot tell you what it meant for me to feel that. It was bigger than scotch, it was safer than scotch. I knew for the first time in my life that I was not alone. I knew that I would never be lonely again. I knew that the desperation that lived inside of me as a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous finally had a place to go. I knew that I was a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. But more important than that, I knew that I would stay because I knew that I was a member of God's family. Now, I'm not talking about a religious God at all. I'm talking about my understanding, which is of no relevance to anybody but me. But I can tell you that it's bigger than anything I could ever imagine and that it's bigger than scotch and it encompasses all my relatives. And I'm Irish and they're deader than doornails, but they're alive for me. And they're there. And when I can't find that direct route to God, well, I have grandmothers and I have my brother and I have my uncles and I'll say, would you get down here? I need help. On the way here, when I was landing on the plane, I looked out the window and I said, isn't this exciting? I have never been to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and neither have any of you. We're all going together. Now, how did that happen to a falling down drunk? That I would be able to have inside of me the love and the compassion of all there is and all the people that meant everything in my life, even when they're not here. How could I be sharing my mind, which only told me that I was no good, not enough? a drunken alcoholic woman, how could I now be sharing my mind with people that are in the spirit world coming to talk to people who I actually know would save my life? Strangers, absolute strangers, that shared a jelly donut with me and absolutely led me down a path that I cannot, and I'm just beginning to, at this point in my sobriety, describe to you. I hope that life presents you with all the problems that it's going to, And I hope that you never leave Alcoholics Anonymous. And I hope that you start to talk about this God and that you read that 12 and 12 and find out how gently and how kindly and how patiently you can do it. You do not have to wait as long as I did. I am a late bloomer in my relationship with my God. But I am now using that relationship and using AA and using the 12 steps with the same vigor that I drank. That is unimaginable. Thank you.